we'd like to see the state take more positive action on, you know, allowing the use of state assets, county assets, town assets to improve broadband for everyone. Welcome to a special episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast in our new podcast series, Why NC Broadband Matters. I'm Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in Minneapolis, Minnesota. NC Broadband Matters is a North Carolina nonprofit. Their mission is to attract, support, and champion the universal availability of affordable, reliable, high-capacity internet access necessary for thriving local communities, local businesses, and a local workforce in order to compete in the global economy. The group has created the North Carolina chapter of CLIC, the Coalition for Local Internet Choice. We are collaborating with NC Broadband Matters to present this series that touches on issues that, while certainly affect people in North Carolina, also impact people in other states. Our first episode is titled, Overbuilding Means Providing Internet Choice, How One Small Company is Closing North Carolina's Digital Divide. Christopher interviews Alan Fitzpatrick from Open Broadband, and they discuss why the word overbuilding should have positive rather than negative connotations. They talk about the need for better connectivity in North Carolina, how the state might play a more meaningful role, and how his company is offering broadband through a range of technical solutions. Now here's Christopher and Alan Fitzpatrick from Open Broadband. Welcome to a special episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And today kicks off the first of a series of podcasts sponsored by NC Broadband Matters. That's North Carolina Broadband Matters. And to get it all going, we're going to interview Alan Fitzpatrick who is the CEO of Open Broadband, a local company there in North Carolina, and a founding member of North Carolina Broadband Matters. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be here. You've been on the regular Broadband Bits podcast before uh, multiple times and uh, wearing different hats, in fact. (laughs) And uh, now we're going to be kicking off this series of one episode a month for the next 10 months or so. And I wanted to see if you wanted to maybe explain briefly uh, why you thought it was a good idea to have me talking more into a microphone. Sure. So we always value uh, your conversations, Chris, and what you can bring out uh, to the light. And uh, NC Broadband Matters, our whole mission is really to champion uh, universal availability of of high-speed internet and broadband, uh, letting communities make their own choices. And you've been a longtime proponent and advocate and uh, renowned expert in this field. So we couldn't think of anybody better than you to kind of help us capture the stories and uh, communicate them uh, you know, out into the world. So thank you very much for uh, starting this whole series. I'm really excited for the opportunity. I've, um, you know, I've, I feel like I've spent a lot of time thinking about North Carolina, um, working with many of the people who are involved with NC Broadband Matters, and um, all of us want the same thing. And, and I really like the amount of organization and effort that, that you all in North Carolina have put into this. And so uh, I'm excited to dig deeper into these episodes. Um, we're going to start today uh, talking about overbuilding, um, this word, which is almost a slur but um, one that uh, that you want to unpack and talk more about. Um, but let's let's kick it off by talking a little bit about what open broadband does because, you know, I think it's fair to say you're an overbuilder. Uh, we are to some extent. You're correct. So open broadband is a private internet service provider. Uh, we are headquartered in North Carolina. We operate uh, 11 counties across the state. We're building out in five more counties. 
and we're working with our first few communities in Southern Virginia. So our mission is to bring broadband service to underserved communities, areas that have been pretty well left behind uh, by incumbents or don't really have a whole lot of competition. Uh, in most cases, we are giving people broadband for the very first time. You know, they, they may have had DSL, they may have had satellite internet, but they never had, you know, 25 megabit speed. So that's been kind of our foremost uh, uh, go-to-market strategy is, is going into these areas and providing them with a high-speed internet. Uh, we do provide some service in areas where there are some incumbents, but we can get into that as we go. Right. And I, I wanted to note that you have a very fun Twitter um, account. Uh, I believe it's just Open Broadband, isn't it? Uh, open BB net okay. is our Twitter. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I just follow the what's written there as opposed to the actual at sign. But oh, the, right. Um, but um, for people to follow it, I recommend it. You have a lot of fun pictures on top of water towers. I feel like you're a company that is really embodies that idea of what works. Uh, you do fiber, you do wireless, but the main thing is you're just looking to to expand access in places in which it has been difficult to do it, and no one's really done it. Although you're still called an overbuilder by the people who don't want to see you out there um, improving access. Oh, thanks for the compliments, Chris. And, and you're spot on. What we're trying to do is solve the problem. And the problem is people don't have access to good internet or they don't have a choice. So one of the two, either you have nothing or maybe you have one carrier that can do this. And the, the way we've chosen to go about solving the problem is use whatever technology makes sense. Uh, and to a large extent, you'll see us doing fixed wireless. So to your, to your comment about having, you know, antenna pictures on water towers and things like that. Yes, we have quite a few of those. So feel free to follow our Twitter and, and LinkedIn accounts to see those. But, you know, we have locations where we have fiber directly to the premise. Uh, we have uh, coaxial cable in a couple of places just because it worked out that way. But we've always tried to view ourselves as let's go solve the problem and use whatever technology makes sense. Uh, it's got to be cost effective. I mean, you know, the reason why there isn't fiber to the curve in rural markets is it's just hard to cost justify it. So if we can find a different technology that can still solve the problem, that's what we do. Well, you used a word when you were describing what you do. You used the word underserved. I can't think of the right word, so I'm just going to describe it. But underserved versus overbuilding. I think a lot of the providers who are doing the underserving are the ones who are the most angry about overbuilding. Um, and it's because there's a real opportunity. Uh, but let's let's unpack that word. When you hear overbuilding, uh, which we often hear, particularly when it comes to um, government programs. Um, but what do you what do you hear when you hear the word overbuilding? I hear one thing in the marketplace and then I have another internal view. Uh, so in, in the marketplace, what I hear is carriers that are already providing service are wanting to retain the monopoly, and they don't want someone else coming in and also providing service. And they put this negative spin on it saying, well, service already exists, so why should somebody come in and spend more money and overbuild what we have? Right. There's a sense that it's wasteful, right? I mean, that's what's embodied in that term. It's overbuilding. It's unnecessary. But my view on it is... We need competition. Competition is good. We need multiple providers. We need, in the term, overbuilding. And if you think of it from any other industry, you know, gas stations, you know, what would it be like if your town only had one gas station or a grocery store? What if you only had one grocery store to go to? 
what would prices be like? What would service be like? What incentive would they have to do anything good for the community? Essentially none, right? Or what would the lines be like at the coffee store? <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah, so lack of choice hurts consumers. And if you look across, you know, the landscape in telecom for you know, high-speed internet, the two major providers in the country are cable, uh, Comcast and Charter. And if you take a look at their footprints, they don't really overlap. You know, they don't compete with each other. Right. I actually, I think it's less than 2%, but it's certainly single digits. We've done the analysis and that's deliberate. And the, the telecos do compete, you know, somewhat with cable. So you got AT&Ts of the world and Verizon's that are out there competing uh, but it seems that they only make the major investments in, you know, the larger cities uh, where they can go head to head against cable and compete in the market, which which I think is great, by the way. I, I love seeing AT&T fiber roll out and, and competing with cable. Uh, or, or you'll see the sort of upstart companies like a Google Fiber or a Ting or some of the municipal networks or co-ops uh, going into markets, uh, which I think are great. So. Having competition is what helps consumers. Um, I remember when Google Fiber first came out, they called it the Google Fiber effect. You know, they went into the different cities and, and what happened? You know, their competitors uh, drastically increased speeds and they lowered prices. And they called it the Google Fiber effect. It was the effect of having a major competitor come in and it basically raised the, you know, the water level. So uh, everybody got better. So the more we can promote competition, I think, the better. I agree. That's certainly what uh, one hears in the, the talking points uh, from uh, D.C. Um, in state houses and that sort of thing. Everyone wants uh, competition. Now, we, we often hear overbuilding in regard to a government program, which may um, have uh, subsidies that are going out to expand access. And there's a line, and it's used, um, I will say, both by smaller providers and by larger providers in terms of saying, um, you know, we don't want the government to overbuild. We don't think that's fair. And and let me, before I give you any chance to talk in the way a, a proper host would, I would like to say that this argument drives me nuts because it acts as though history starts today as opposed to yesterday when a number of these companies had massive subsidies, um, you know, whether it's the cable companies that in many cases built their networks in a time of exclusive franchises or the telephone companies, which would certainly had exclusivity um, to build their networks and often to uh, build very good, high-quality networks. And um, you know, if, if our expectation is, is that we are just going to have competition magically because we've stopped preventing it, I don't think we're going to get much competition. And so I'm very hostile to the, the argument that the government should not do anything to encourage competition. It should just allow competition to happen because for 20 years, we've been doing that and we haven't seen competition really develop, I think. I would agree with you, Chris. Yeah, it just it's such a massive infrastructure need that if you just hope that there's going to be competition magically, it's just not going to happen in very many places. So, uh, you know, I'm in the camp of saying let's encourage competitors. Uh, I am a capitalist. I believe in competitive markets. Uh, I think we need to encourage competitive markets because it's, it's better for everyone. That makes companies better. It um, improves the community. It helps spurs uh, economic development. It's better for the residents. It's you know so good on so many levels. 
the, I guess the only thing it's not good for is monopolies. So if you do have a monopoly in an area and another competitor comes in, what's, they're probably the only loser in that case. Although at the end of the day, what they'll end up doing is improving their own processes and getting better because it's sort of being forced upon them. Now, let me ask you, because I think there's this thing that, that I believe in, and many of the people that um, you know, have uh, support for similar policies that I do, we have this belief, and, and I want to test it by asking you as, as a person running a business in this area. When you have a choice of different markets in, in which you're going to invest, are you prioritizing markets in which people are happy with the service that they already have? Actually, no. I wouldn't <laughs> think <prioritize>, so. <laughs> yeah, we go into areas where they hate their service provider and they really want something better. Yeah. And that's and that's one of the things that I think is important because I respect that the um, – particularly the local companies. I was just here at a meeting in Minnesota with a lot of family-owned independent companies that have a history of providing good services in smaller towns in greater Minnesota. And they're quite fearful of government programs bringing in competition in, in ways that would hurt their business models. And I generally don't expect to see providers seeing a market opportunity to go serve a population that likes its provider. And and I just and I, and I'm guessing that's what you see as well when you're trying to think. You know, I mean, you've sunk your own money into this. This is not a game for you. You're not like a guy like me, where if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, for you, it's a pretty big deal. Right, we're all in. And early on, we had to make a decision with open broadband. You know, where where we're going to go? Where were we going to make our investments? And we're located just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And some people ask me, well, do you provide service in Charlotte? And the answer is we, we have a few sort of opportunistic customers in Charlotte, simply because I'm pretty well connected in the community. But by and large, we don't you know, offer regular service in Charlotte. And the reason is exactly the point you just made. You know, we have uh, Charter here who provides very good service. We have AT&T that does fiber service. We have Google Fiber in the market. We have a number of other competitors. So it's, it's a pretty saturated market in the larger city where people are pretty happy with their options. You know, yes, there's one or two, you know, here and there we can go in and help. But by and large, the need isn't here. The need is out in the rural parts of the counties. And that's where we focus. It's, it, you know, this actually gets quite complicated in that, you know, I think there are market opportunities in Charlotte because although the companies you named are providing much better service than you see throughout North Carolina, um, the opportunity right now really is in these areas that are um, not getting investment. Um, we're talking about often frontier and CenturyLink territories. There's no cable operator. And, um, and so that's the real big market opportunity. Um, and I, I would congratulate the way the cable companies have really done a better job of providing one good option in the cities, at least. And then uh, we have some neighborhoods in which AT&T has been very aggressive and Verizon and some of the other companies, CenturyLink and their territories, although that's backed off a little bit. Um, but I don't want anyone pulling out their hair because they're frustrated with uh, the options they have and, and thinking that, that you're saying it's good enough. What you're saying is that the market opportunity right now is in the areas in which we're not seeing private investment really flowing on its own, I think. You're, you're right. Yeah, and that is where we're focusing. And, and you do see digital divide in large cities. 
and I, I guess I should have uh, focused on that earlier in my comments, but, you know, you have cities like Detroit and Cleveland where half of the city is not on home broadband, and that's, that's terrible, right? Everybody should have uh, the ability to get home broadband. So it can exist in the city as well, like you say. And we've seen examples where people live in older neighborhoods. A new neighborhood goes in literally right down the street, and that new neighborhood gets all the new technology, right? Cable comes in. You might have fiber going in. And the people who live in the old neighborhood are saying, hey, what about us? You know, extend it over to our neighborhood. And the answer is often no. So you might have these two streets, these two neighborhoods side by side. The new one gets the high-speed broadband and the older one doesn't. And if you looked at like a census block or you look at a city, you might say, oh, well, they're served, right? Because that census block has this wonderful internet capacity, but that particular neighborhood is not served. And that's where it may be viewed as an overbuild if somebody goes into that specific older neighborhood. But in reality, it's not an overbuild. In reality, that neighborhood never had service. As I mentioned earlier, and I think this is, I think it's really important when we talk about overbuilding to to recognize that prior to 1996, um, telephone companies were monopolies that was enforced by the state. And prior to 1992, cable companies could have exclusive franchises, which were monopolies that were uh, guaranteed by the city. And uh, since then, um, we've more or less had at the federal level and some states, um, well, they've, they outlawed the monopoly. They wouldn't allow it to create an official monopoly, but they didn't really encourage competition so much. They didn't set the rules to enable new competitors to compete with these existing providers that had such a head start. Um, but in, in North Carolina is one of the states in which I would say the state has been somewhat hostile to uh, competition, uh, particularly the way that local governments could encourage competition, um, something we often talk about in terms of the words local net, local internet choice. And so I'm, I'm just curious if you want to share your thoughts about how North Carolina law, um, you know, could enable you to compete better or uh, in ways that it's, uh, it's a little bit harder to compete than it should be. Uh, that's a great point, Chris. So we have a, uh, a law in the state that forbids municipalities from starting their own uh, internet service to customers. Uh, there are a few cities that have been grandfathered because they were already doing this before the law went into effect. Wilson, North Carolina, and Salisbury, North Carolina are a couple examples of that. But uh, new applications of this, if towns want to start providing service to their own residents, uh, are basically forbidden by law. Now, there's a, a fiber act uh, that's being uh, proposed that we're hopeful can get passed that would allow municipalities to lease their own fiber to, um, you know, private companies to help spur investment and spur better service to residents, uh, kind of utilizing the city's assets or county assets. Uh, so we believe that's a good thing. We hope that um, legislation like that can get through. But we'd like to see the state take more positive action on, you know, allowing the use of state assets, county assets, town assets to improve broadband for everyone. What does that mean for your company? If uh, if local governments, um, counties and cities were able to uh, lease you fiber or um, to uh, build a network and, and uh, lease that to you, I mean, 
to some extent, cities have limited authority to lease dark fiber to you. If the Fiber Act passes, what does that allow you to do that you can't do today? And, and how does that really allow you to expand more rapidly? For us, access to infrastructure is so important, whether we're mounting antennas or uh, implementing switches or uh, just finding a way to get from point A to point B. So we look for commercial solutions today so we can route on fiber that's available from, um, you know, for-profit companies. Uh, we look for tower assets that are sometimes available from private companies. But if towns or counties or state assets are in ideal locations and they have excess capacity, uh, oftentimes that can speed our uh, entry into the market and potentially lower our cost. So that's how we would look at it. You know, I mean, you just sort of said speed our market entry and lower our cost, but what does that actually mean? I mean, does it just mean you make more money? Oh, that actually means service gets to the customer faster. <laughs> I guess that is the end point. I, I hate it when people act as though making money is somehow wrong, but I think um, I just want to make the point that it's not just about uh, additional revenues or, or that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're trying to get service into the hands of people, but we got to be profitable doing that, of course. But how do we solve the problem faster? I'll get back to the whole point of why we're doing this. We're trying to solve the problem. We're trying to get broadband into the hands of people that haven't had it for one reason or another. Either it wasn't available or it was too expensive or it just didn't work and trying to solve that problem. So to the extent that the legal environment, the political environment can encourage us to roll this out faster, solve the problem faster, that's a very good thing. It's worth noting, I mean, you have people that work for you who right now, I suppose, are um, trying to figure out how to get from A to B in areas in which either local governments might have fiber or, um, you know, if they knew that you were trying to do that, they might be willing to do that themselves so that you can focus on turning on customers and doing less of that time, which is less direct involvement with the customers. Correct. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes there's this fear out in the marketplace, like, oh, what if the towns and counties started service, you know, themselves? Like, oh, no, you know, that's a bad thing. My conversations throughout the state and at different levels, they don't really want to be in the service provider business. When I'm talking to county managers and town managers and so forth, they just want the problem to be solved. And the county commissioners, they want to stop hearing from the residents that their choices are terrible and their service is terrible. They just want the pain to be solved, right? If no one will solve that pain, then yes, maybe the government needs to step in and, and do it themselves. By and large, I don't find that many government entities that really want to do it. They just want the problem solved. And if there's a private provider out there that's willing to step in and be a good partner and actually listen to the community and, and want to solve that problem and, and listen to the community needs, then they're all about it. Uh, we've had a very good response from communities we've spoken with when we go in with that type of approach. So this is, it's another hop on issue I want to jump into real quick because a lot of the people that I interview uh, are either people from local governments or people who have broad sympathies with local governments. Um, and I wouldn't say that you're unsympathetic to local governments, but you are not an entrepreneur. You have a different perspective. Um, one of the things that we hear often from people working directly or indirectly for the big cable and telephone companies is the problem is that local governments are trying to prevent new investment and that they are the ones that are getting in the way. Um, and so what, what? I'm just curious if you can react to that. I don't see it that way at all. 
generally speaking, we are widely encouraged by the communities we speak to. They feel the pain point. Their constituents are complaining. They're looking for a solution. If we go in and have a conversation and say we're willing to help, you know, where do you need help? You know, what can we do to uh, solve this problem? You know, where is your greatest need? Uh, we found them extremely uh, supportive and, and responsive. So there are various grants that are available, uh, as you know, for, for broadband deployment, whether it's at the federal level or the state level. And we found that the communities that are really suffering are willing to work with us to help apply for some of those grants and, and work as a partner with us in it. So we've had nothing but positive response. Yeah, that's that's been my impression, is that the people who are working for the local governments are, are prioritizing this, and they're trying to figure out what will work, and they're willing to um, to be proactive on it, I think. So um, I just, I, you know, it would be worth it for me if you wanted to um, take a, a field recorder to some of your customers and ask them, uh, try to explain to them overbuilding. And I'm, I'm guessing that they will either laugh or be confused at the, just the idea that this is a problem. They would. Yeah, because what they would say is the service is terrible. They need somebody to come and fix it. All of their requests to the incumbents are, are being ignored or being given lip service to, but the problem isn't being fixed. And the problem is not going to go away. It's only getting, you know, larger from the standpoint that more and more of our lives involves, you know, high-speed internet access, that somebody needs to go in and help. Now, if the incumbent will step up and solve the community's needs, I think they'd be very happy with that. I think that when they get frustrated with those conversations, they start to look for uh, alternatives. And, and that's where companies like Open Broadband would have conversations. Great. Well, Alan, I appreciate this once again. I appreciate the hard work that, that you're putting in in North Carolina to make this happen, even in the face of, of government policy that unfortunately still discourages competition. Um, we have to get rid of those barriers first, and then we can talk about very uh, targeted programs maybe to encourage competition after that. Yes, and I, I had to put in one plug for North Carolina is we have a state uh, broadband grant program called the Great Grants, which the governor has been very supportive of and it has gotten through our legislature as well, that provides grants for broadband to unserved communities. Now, it's unserved communities, not underserved. So there's still this whole element of not overbuilding, but at least the state has put up money to help uh, invest in these areas that haven't had any service and help providers uh, basically solve the problem. So that is a very good thing the state is doing. Yes, and I and I think it's worth noting the state has also removed some restrictions on the electric co-ops. So, uh, you know, we're focused on in um, a few particular areas, um, but I don't want to sound like the entire state is um, is acting in ways that are contrary to uh, better internet access. We are seeing that from some, uh, but we're deeply concerned about whether the legislature will take the next step to really um, allow more investment in areas. Um, and oddly enough, <laughs> one of the, the biggest opponents to it is uh, Charter Cable, the company that is not going to invest in a lot of the areas you're, you're investing in, Alan, but they're trying to make it harder for cities to work with you and, and counties to work with you to get that done. But uh, that's where we live. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show, Chris. And thanks for what you're doing with the whole series for NC Broadband Matters. Uh, your voice really matters, and we appreciate you getting the stories out. Well, thank you, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, it's been wonderful. I hope to see you next time I swing through town. Thanks, Chris. Good to talk with you. 
Thanks for tuning in to the special YNC Broadband Matters podcast series and for listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Remember to follow Christopher on Twitter. His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow Open Broadband on Twitter at OpenBBNet. And if you follow NC Hearts GB on Twitter, you'll tap into all the NC Broadband Matters material. We want to thank Shane Ivers of SilvermanSound.com for the series music, What's the Angle? Licensed to Creative Commons. And we want to thank you for listening. Until next time, 